clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. Welcome back to another edition of Pod Clubhouse's continuing coverage of TNT's Snowpiercer. This is for the fourth episode of the third season. This one is called Bound by One Track. This is Paul Daly, and I'm here again with Kat from the Latinx Lens Podcast. Hello, Kat. Hey, how are you doing? I am feeling better every day. Thanks for asking. And I, we are also joined by Inez. Welcome back, Inez. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Well, you guys did some great predicting with our last podcast in terms of we needed some downtime and we needed some broken train shit to deal with. <laughs> and we got it. Yeah, this was a filler. I was like, oh my God, I predicted that. And so did Inez too. So I was like, yay, go us. I just wanted it. So I didn't necessarily predict it. I was just like, please slow the fuck down for me for a second. <laughs> I took my notes in a little different fashion this time, um, not even really knowing that it would be completely applicable to this episode. I kept my notes just separated by character rather than by event. And that really worked out because it seems like every character had some little bit added to their story this time around. Yeah, a lot of uh, new little like pieces popping up. And so I'm excited. I really enjoyed um, this episode's opportunity to slow down and peek in. Well, one big prediction that we've been fostering this whole season <laughs> has been the icy baby business. Yeah, that was a surprise about the consent, but it's not a surprise given Zara's history of always thinking of herself. In this case, she says she's thinking about the baby. But it was also sort of a ploy of like, oh, if I'm experimenting on, I, I'm valuable. So it's crazy. Like she's always been in survival mode. And I was thinking of Inez because I know you didn't like her decisions last season. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so Zara. <laughs> You're the, uh, the mother of the group, Inez. Do you see it both ways or any particular way um, that you could help explain Zara's uh, point of view in terms of making decisions with where she was, which was she was on Wilford's train and Wilford is mm -hmm. a guy that deals in, in loyalty and usefulness, you know? Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Can you empathize with her decision to be an, an experiment or do you think, nah, it's bullshit. She's, <laughs> she's, she's crazy. You know, as the resident subject matter expert on all things <laughs> maternal in this group, um, <laughs> um, I have to agree with Zara on this one. This is how like life evolves throughout the beginning of time since the existence of our universe. Everything that has happened is the intentional and accidental build upon itself, like how we got here. So this is just a continuation of life's journey. And it makes total sense to want to be able to like prepare the next generation for success because Zara doesn't have all of the information. So she has to plan for what if Leighton fails. So Leighton left. She's here on the train. She has a unique opportunity to have like open access to a medical um, team. <laughs> well, Wilford's medical team the, of the one person, right? But like, right. I, don't, I feel like nobody really gets that. And, you know, there's a healthcare like access issue here on the train. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can, we can fairly say. So having access to it, getting to learn. And I'm somebody who like follows the logic of it. So I ask tons of questions every time I go to the doctors and I'm asking for them, like, teach me this stuff. Like, I'm always asking them to teach me what's happening and what's meant to happen with each of these different things. And I follow that with the logic of what I've learned from my own research, too. And if it makes sense, it's like, OK, like, I know it's a little bit different, but I'm going to I'm going to give this a shot. So I don't think Zara's crazy here for considering this. Interesting perspective. But mm -hmm. I can also look at Layton's perspective of you know i've been i was only gone for six months you know in i don't your, give a fuck <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I do not give any shits about where Layton was. If he was right next to me versus if he was like out on a train somewhere else, that has nothing to do with like life that's happening right now. And it's my fucking body. This baby literally is attached to me. It's like my DNA, my everything is what's putting this together. So this is just a hard boundary <laughs> as, a, as a mother. Yeah. I, w- I would take the same exact stance like with anything right now when it comes to like my daughter's life. I will share the knowledge with my husband and we will like go through like decisions together like while I was pregnant. But I knew ultimately like all of this was like I had to be like really okay with how I'm proceeding with stuff. And it's just an instinct too that I can't relinquish that kind of like control on anybody else. I You really do have to like follow what your like gut is telling you because it's a very real instinct. Interesting that this kind of show would decide to approach this kind of topic then. Usually science fiction kind of skirts around bigger issues like you know, mm-hmm. personal rights like this. Um, they, they will they will deal with them, but in sort of like a allegorical kind of way, you know, like this society has this problem and blah, blah, blah. And then the Starship Enterprise shows up and blah, 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 you know, make yeah. some sort of a decision about what to do, et cetera. And then they're gone. But this is a main character. And this is a child that will be born on this train. And there will be lasting story results based on these decisions, you know? Yeah. Did your uh, perception, especially with what happened with uh, Wilfred in this episode, um, do you, did you guys change your view on him? Because we learned that it wasn't a forced thing. We thought she was just, you know, when she goes under that she didn't know about it and they were doing it to her uh, unwillingly. So then now that we know she chose this, does it change your perspective on him at all? Cause I was thinking like, what's the benefit for him? I guess it's like getting, is it getting underlaid in skin? Is it actually his engineer side of like advancing like human life that could ultimately like if the baby survives and is able to like adapt to the cold could benefit him like I was just trying to ask myself like what's the benefit of him actually helping if he's like oh yeah let's like do this experiment and see if we can kind of create a new if if, is it him just being god in that sense of like that's what he's getting out of like like where do you guys see that like bragging rights yeah and then like there's like a whole multi thing that could be going on in his head with like why he's doing this with the baby but then ultimately also like he is choosing to kind of do something good in a way like you know because like if the baby ends up being joe's like josie and able to adapt to cold and also that he's old so like if the kid survives like he's not necessarily going to reap the benefits of like having the kid as his lackey or anything so like what is the intention there, I guess? And does it change your viewpoint on him of just being pure evil? (laughs) You know, maybe it did change it in a little way. I still think he's obviously like super narcissistic, psycho abuser. Like there's no doubt that he is an evil man with the choices that he, he does. But I have to acknowledge that he's brilliant. And that kind of brilliance doesn't just stop with like one thing, like think that we consistently see with people who are just geniuses that keep thinking bigger, bigger, bigger picture always like Elon Musk. You know, a lot of people will will hate on Elon Musk for like wanting to continue to like fund these like what looks like frivolous things because we have so much other bad shit on the other end of stuff. But there is only stuff to gain with more research and that's with money and like Wilford was able to pay for this brilliant to save this brilliant minds that he brought onto the train that match his own brilliant mind and share the same like passion for like long-term like movement and absolutely I think he wants it one because it's exciting and then two because he is very narcissistic and he does want to stamp everything with that big w like he i absolutely he's gonna if this works yeah. out when that baby is born he's gonna hold that over Layton forever for as long as he's alive that's like what he wants i think that the excitement of of just newness of discovery that's i think very legitimate just like his own personality that that will never end i mean we see him in his cage and he's still like thinking, strategizing, pulling things apart, uh, making decisions like that. And that to me, I could relate to a lot. Not that I'm 
nowhere near a genius, evil genius at all. But like, I, I do have ADHD. And so like, I can feel and see like how much my brain just keeps bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. And I know I keep coming in here and I like keep talking about like these really big sciencey stuff that I really like that makes me really excited. And it, and I do, I go down these rabbit holes of discovery because it's really exciting. And that's kind of what I thought this episode was showing us is just like how his brain just like has to kind of keep going. Um, and then everything that he's done down to like this train itself, as much as like he's a dick, everybody there is alive because he felt it in his passion that he needed to like create this kind of global solution, even if he was part of the problem potentially. So yeah, so I don't, I feel like I did already kind of have that respect for Wilford um, from previous episodes and still concluded that he's, he's an evil person. But yeah, maybe this one just kind of gave me a, just a little bit better insight of how his brain was working. And and also with this specific thing, I'm all for it. I was not mad at Zara about it at all. To me, it's like from Zara's perspective, like Leighton was so worried that th- you've tainted our baby. You've stamped our baby with Wilford forever. And to me, it's like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> like this is this is going to help this child survive and thrive in this environment. They are not growing up in the same exact way that we that our bodies currently are adapted to a world that no longer exists. And this baby is potentially going get, to get that. I don't care who stamps it. I'm just taking advantage of the access to what the technology uh, that I have now. It did take me off guard that Zara had consented for sure, Kat. I fell victim to the, the framing of, of what had come before in mm-hmm. that the quote unquote choice that she had been presented with that we haven't seen may not have felt like much of a choice at the time. That's what I was thinking of. I hadn't given it the full consideration that Inez just described, that maybe it was a full choice and and that what he was offering was an adaptation that future generations would need in order to, to survive. It just so happens that, you know, it's still kind of in the experimental phase <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> We're only a couple generations in and Icy Bob was number one and he was sort of a mixed success. Um, when I thought of what had led into that decision, I pictured it more, more like coercion than full on, mm-hmm. you know, agreement. But Inez has given me something to think about. Yay. Did it change anything for you, Kat? You can't forget everything that he's done. You know, he's obviously done some pretty bad things. But this episode, it's sort of peeling back the layers of, yeah, I think um, what he used to be maybe. um, And and maybe before all the power and and corruptness. Or maybe it's sort of like, you know, the geniuses sometimes can get a little crazy. I did empathize a little bit. And like, because I was just thinking like, I just kept asking myself, like, why is he doing this? You know, and I at first I thought it was like, oh, he's going to, you know, have this overladen and and have like sort of a, a security blanket. But then knowing that it's actually doing something good and not harming the baby I'm just like okay like he really does want like the big picture stuff um he just goes about it in a very roundabout horrible way (laughs) and because I think he gets off on that stuff uh, on the power part but also on the science part he is visionary in some ways and then also the fact that he was down and about like he was like oh my hand hurts and very weak in in the sense like I don't know it it really showcased I guess his humanity a bit more and then what Alex was going through, which kind of ties in with him. Like, I thought I was really firm on one side with him. And I feel like this episode shook me a little bit. Does the good that he can and has produced in terms of, yes, he saved whatever's left of humanity on the train. Yes, he did that. But he did it by creating this awful society. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. The, he's he's adapting people's physiology to be able to live out in the cold or at least not die instantly in the cold, which is an improvement, but he's doing it with experimentation and we're not sure what level of coercion, et cetera, et cetera. When you look at 
Roche's decision to try and kill him, does the balance come out that he's more like, you know, the the Nazi concentration camp doctors who are also trying to advance science, but the way that they're doing it, the rest of society can't can't stomach? Is that ultimately where the scales come out for, for Wilfred or saving humanity on the train does get you some points and Roche took it too far. Given everything that he's done, um, I do think the, the bad has outweighed the good. Um, although the big picture of saving humanity, like what is that way? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Because none of them would be alive, but then it's not simple. Yeah, but then it's sort of also twisted because he created this society and then just tortured, he tor- has tortured them in like those six, seven years. So it's like you kept us alive, but then you like kept us in total fear. So it's like maybe we should have been dead because we wouldn't be living in this chaos. So it's like it, it's it's a bit twisted. But I think what Roche did, I don't know if it's justified to kill anybody, but like in his situation, he just woke up, his wife died and who put them there and who has put the train through so much misery in his viewpoint not big picture but in the short term of what they've experienced it's been Wilford so I didn't expect that I thought he was actually going to use that on himself so then it caught me off guard when he um yeah I thought he was gonna like do something to the doctor or something like that not necessarily Wilford so when when he did that I was like oh okay and I thought it was interesting that it would end up being Roche that would try to kill Wilford when it ends up being him someone that I didn't even think about not um like Layden or Ben or somebody else, like not justified in doing it, but I can understand why Roche would do it. I can totally get it. Roche was put in there more or less uh, as, as a criminal type situation, right? But his daughter and his wife were more or less punitive retribution, but it was, it would feel very arbitrary, you know, and then you wake up and she's, and your wife is dead based on just something that you just there's no way around that you could just see any other way than it just didn't have to happen that way. But I also thought when he was putting on his uniform like that, it had all the TV markings of mm-hmm. a suicide. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't blame Roche for being in that state of mind. We talked about it last week, right? That we imagine that his perspective is going to be total trauma, like just really heavy right off the bat trauma of like one day to the next Last year, I got a wisdom tooth pulled and I went under and I literally like was just chatting with them. And then I woke up thinking that I'm still continuing my conversation, but it was over. (laughs) And so (laughs) like I imagined that experience, but like with with Roche, that he knew his family was going to be in there one day to the next or one moment to the next, not even like a full kind of day, like in his body, one moment to the next, it just blinks and then like his world is destroyed, like literally destroyed. I, I pictured like if it was Steven and, um, and Anya, and that is just like such a deep sadness. So I was also under the impression that he was going to commit suicide. And I was very sad for him. I was very sad seeing him in the, the bar area, mm-hmm. but I was a little confused as to how, like, security just like accept like this person that they haven't seen in a long time and it's just like oh yeah like you can go in and see it see him like you know when he tells him like you need to go away like uh right. well, technically the order. boss but but, yeah. but like <laughs> and so if he was like already back to work to me that feels very irresponsible that the governing bodies would have done that with somebody who just experienced such severe trauma and they're not getting any kind of like help with their mind. So that I feel like if, if anything's to blame, it's the people who were not, who were in charge of Roche and didn't take care of Roche. That's just super irresponsible to put him back in charge after this kind of thing. Did you guys catch though, when he said, I don't know if it means anything, but when he was like, the drawers aren't sleep. Um, yeah. So I was wondering if that just means like it's a whole, like whatever they go under is like a horrible thing or if he just meant like, hey, we weren't supposed to be in the drawers. And so she didn't die in her sleep. She was murdered sort of thing. Do you think it's anything? Yeah, I think it's like a horrible experience, like a waking or semi waking or even like I was describing with the light anesthesia that you get with surgery, like um, certain kinds of surgery anyway. Like I can remember my wisdom teeth 
And I had that same sensation you described, um, Inez, in terms of like, they were, they, they told me to count down or some shit. And then I woke up in a different room and, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, but upon reflection, I also remembered some other stuff. There was no like sight and sound, but there was like this weird internal, and this is going to be gross, but yanking and pulling. Oh, interesting. So you, could, you were sort of not fully under. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't pain, but it was a weird interior pulling. Let's move on to more of the main cast. We had Melanie, Jennifer Connelly, guest starring this week as head versions of herself for both Alex and Mr. Wilford. Production-wise, it feels like, well, if you're going to have her come back for one, you might as well get as much mileage as you can out of the uh, the actress. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but she's not cheap. <laughs> right. So what do you think that means story-wise and, the, and them choosing for her to come in as patient advisor for both people, especially given... Uh, what Alex was going through, these these mixed emotions of love and hate and missing him and wanting to kill him and, and things like that for Mr. Wilford. I don't know. I think having her back in this way, I feel like it has given me hope that hopefully she's still alive. I'm still holding out hope <laughs> because I just feel like from a TV perspective and like also and like her stature as an actress, like how could she just come back for this episode? And then like that, I hope that's not it. But maybe that's just me trying to hope for her to come back and be alive. Always hoping for stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I, I really enjoyed um, having seeing her again and then having Alex kind of go through these emotions. And it was sort of what we predicted of her having this, the PTSD of like what we, what we had um, discussed about her, like just being willing to kind of sacrifice people and, and not really think about it. And it's like, and then we got a glimpse of, or we got, we learned why she did that. And it's like, she wouldn't really think about it. And then we learned that she's never actually seen any of the consequences of that. So it was actually her seeing the consequence of actually, you know, like letting it go without a thought and, um, and then seeing dead bodies and realizing like, Oh, this is what happened when I told, you know, when I did what I was supposed to do. And so she got face to face with that and then dealing with, well, who, who put me there? Wilford. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But then also seeing like the really nice moment between, you know, when he pulled her aside, whatever, you know, the bad intentions were to her as a kid. I mean, that was like her father figure and, you know, she didn't have a mother. So Wilford was everything to her and taught her who she is now, like the engineering part. So it's sort of like that love hate relationship. And I, I kind of like seeing that mode and then it ties in really well with what Wilford's going through. And then when we see her at the very end and she says like, you know, what was the, the line she says he's not so powerful when you put it into perspective and so I thought they did a really good job of like tying all those main characters together and then also having Wilford see Melanie because they're also tied like they have such a like that bond you know with even though it's kind of bonded in misery and <laughs> a little bit of love and stuff but it's still a right. bond you yeah. know oh man I really loved the way that they filmed this episode I love how they did the storytelling so just right off the back i loved enjoyed the cinematography and the storytelling in in this way of course got really excited seeing jennifer conley because melanie is my favorite character so this has been very difficult for me and i do feel like there's enough carrot dangling across each episode and then reading just a lot of the commentary online where people are like you know when we found the person in korea was it melanie was it melanie like everybody's looking for melanie right so i feel like that gives me hope (laughs) that um that she will come back and this is not like the way that she will come back even my husband was just like do you think this is like the only does, does this episode mean definitively that she is definitely dead because alex like i you know will i will murdered you and I was like no this is she's just dead to Alex she's dead to the characters but she's not she might not necessarily be dead to the story so I also am kind of holding on hope from there because I need very clear closure I can't do this with a little like note and then like move on um yeah, there's I, no, I body. Need to, exactly. no body I need to see I need to under yeah exactly I need to I really understand what happened 
yeah, I felt really, really sad for Alex, but I was very happy to see this because I think this is what we've been missing. We've been trying to understand like, when is Alex going to be able to kind of gain like trust in her intuition and, and then be able to be more disciplined in it. And this is exactly what she needed. Um, she needed to see her best friend in the world and she needs to see that so that the next, so it will stop her from discounting options that can keep people alive because it could be her best friend. It could be somebody she really cared. Like there's, uh, these are people who matter to other people. You know, at this stage, I feel like all life is precious even Wilford. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it also showed how they didn't need him though. You know, like yeah. when she, she figured it out. So I feel like exactly. Is that, is that also a turning point too? knowing like, you know, she is going to be the head engineer and like take that Wilford spot maybe. Exactly. Because by this time he's, he's going down fast. Right. And we all knew that Alex had in here because she's come back from these things multiple times. So this was just like another setup of like, you know, Wilford, I need Wilford, I need Wilford. And then she gets to overcome. And now she's graduated to a new stage of her life where I don't think, I hope that we don't see her questioning herself nearly as much. Now, I think that we're, we should technically start seeing a, an upgraded version of Alex. Wilford, I'm saying just because like, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of like genius in there that could definitely be really helpful in this. Besides Melanie, there probably isn't like a brain that matches like Melanie's like Wilford does, which is why she is his favorite thinking partner, even in his subconscious, because they're both at that caliber. He has an immense level of respect. And I did like them showing us like when he's by himself thinking that he does genuinely care about Alex in his own psycho way but like he does like he was genuinely like sad and worried about her being out to go be part of the clearing crew um I felt like that was real because he's just talking to himself so I have to take what he's saying as a authentic thought and experience for him I mean if he died also I wasn't really super sad because I get it uh, on the <laughs> Roche part but um that also had to happen for Alex to really know like I actually don't need Wilford. I fucking saved the day. Big and important episode for Alex. And it ha it's, it's been effectively telegraphed, I think, all season in terms of her trying to cope with her existing feelings about Wilford. And, you know, if you recall, like the, the first episode, uh, she wasn't sure if if they would be better off not meeting up Wilford and kind of ditching this plan to find New Eden, et cetera, et cetera. And there's been other instances where maybe she hasn't been super busy, but when she's been on camera, there have been times when she's been dealing with the complexity of their their relationship. So this, this was very timely in coming up and coming to a head right now and de dedicating a lot of this episode toward her sorting that out. And if the end result is that she is now more self-reliant than it was all, you know, screen time well spent. Absolutely. I think Ben also was really important in this scene with her because she's grown up used to Wilford kind of intentionally putting her through pressure cooker situations and, um, and really f having her learn under extreme duress. And Ben gave her a lot of space and encouragement and opportunities like he helped slow her down he helped calm her he helped ground her multiple times and he was doing this also for Javi Ben was doing like real psychological benefit for her and she is this and and all of the other scenes that we've seen her with this crew have been these high pressure cooker kind of situations. She had tests kind of like, you need to do the right thing with uh, Audrey, like also like you need to do like what Wilford wants you to do. You know, they're just like on her every single time. So so it makes sense that she like is struggling with making like really like full picture kind of choices. So Ben in this episode. I helped her find her feet. I thought Ben was awesome. Uh, there's a couple of characters that we've had, 
you know, since day one, mm-hmm. like like Ben and like like Till, they're not being given a whole lot of d- development yet this this season. But they are providing very solid support to the characters around them. Particularly the moment with with Ben that you're thinking of might be the one where he just has her slow down and it just just they just looked at each other for a couple of mm-hmm. moments just so that she could center <laughs> herself <laughs> and not just not just get carried away with the pressure of the moment but just know that that he had her back and that they were going to figure it out i also took that moment to realize like this is why melanie loves him so much yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was like he's a good partner yeah and and he's used to melanie you know because they were really good together in those high pressure situations and she was also like you know the epitome of calm and collected and and would able to would be able to get things done and he was always the one sort of like hey don't do that and like and and then i think he seems a little bit different in the sense of like we can do this and um i guess maybe seeing melanie and alex and that potential um so he treats her as an equal as well and doesn't like belittle her or anything like that but also has a lot of respect and cares for her obviously so it's just uh i don't know i love ben in this and then also when he like did that comments of like not you too like he's like the therapist right now in the engine room with javi and um (laughs) javi and alex so i don't i would like would love to know like how ben meditates you know like how does he keep his psyche going with all the situation that's a good question like is it just uh drinking or, or, or is there some other like yoga or tai chi yeah. or some time in the in the wave room hey maybe they have weed on the train again <laughs> maybe that would be up to pike to sort out i believe speaking of mr pike <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm excited about this topic yes oh my god did did you see the the get down with ruth coming i mean it was building for the last three three or two episodes sorry um well three episodes right because this is the fourth one sometimes romances don't feel earned or they just feel like they're putting them together for a plot point on i love how you said that romances don't feel earned i love that yeah and so this one just felt so authentic and i think it's also because I don't know the actor name who plays Pike and and Stephen Ogg. Yes. And then Ruth, they just played it so well. And like, you know, and their smiles and they like really built it over the three episodes where when it finally happened, I was like, you know what, this makes sense. You know, they were in down in the trenches. They're, you know, of like sort of the same age they have, like they've had this flirtation going and then why wouldn't they get together? And so it was just beautiful the way it happened. And then all of a sudden he's charming. Yeah. Yeah. He's super charming. <laughs> Because I would have never, from the first episode, I would have never thought like Ruth and Pike would have got together. <laughs> so from a TV perspective too, as an audience member, I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is so good. Like, like it just makes me feel how far we've come as well. That just uh, shows you how great the writing is too. Mm-hmm. You're right. This was a very earned relationship. Like, I don't think anybody has any kind of doubt that this is probably one of the most like organic right ones. Even I, I I think like in episode one of this season, I kind of wrote down that I was a little annoyed at this whole like Josie and Layton, like skirting around their like romantic history kind of thing, like almost like high school or very like young person. I'm like, you guys are like in your forties. Like (laughs) like, you can talk about this just fine. Like what's the deal? I think that's also why I just really love um, how this happened. I did have one conversation with Steven after the scene where we see Pike being very skeptical and asking questions at the town hall. Yeah. Um, you know, I paused it for a little bit because my husband wanted to talk and say, hey, do you think that he's going to try to scheme and get Ruth to like start campaigning to take over leadership? I was just kind of reevaluating just based off of this season and how clear they've given us the history of Ruth and Pike. I said, I think Pike genuinely loves Ruth. I feel like there is no question at all that these two people love each other from just like a platonic, like human perspective. Like they have 
an immense amount of respect because they're like comrades, they're war part, you know, their peers, their colleagues, their um, co-leaders. They both have a fundamental root in like a really big thing. And she's like makes him better. She's made him a better person. And I'm sure that she's also gotten like some from that because he's the one who had all of the underground network that was probably able to like bring together their vision. So it makes sense that they have really good chemistry that way. So, of course, when love scene happens at his vacation house in the marketplace, (laughs) I was all about it. Like, I wanted to, I'm like, you know what? I want to give you guys some privacy. Like, this is like, I need this to happen. (laughs) The, you could see where, you know, maybe not, maybe not right away, but, you know, this new Eden thing is obviously going to fall apart, I think. It's, it's leaving us there. <laughs> and it's almost like Ruth is going to feel like she has to take over. Be- and it will partially come from Pike not propping her up. She doesn't need propping up, but she does need maybe that element of her personality where she doesn't actually want to be in charge. At least that's not what she's saying just yet. That part of the relationship where he is saying, you know, you you'd be pretty good in charge. You know, that starts to that starts to affect your personality. And if this, you know, we've talked about Leighton and his long-term leadership mm-hmm. skills before. And if this turns out to be a crock, which, you know, my, my magic eight ball isn't very positive about how this is going to wind up, you know, she, she may have to step in with, with Pike at, uh, urging her, whispering in her ear. Do you, do you guys foresee any anything like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, given that Pike is obviously he's still not over what Layden made him do. I, I think that's what he alluded to of like um, when Ruth whispers and says like, you know, you can be what you want to be or, you know, you, you have um, the potential. And then he's like, well, the best version of me is already done, gone. And I was wondering if that's because he crossed that line that kind of messed him up that Layden made him do. And there's nothing that Layden can do to kind of get him back because of what he had to do. And with Ruth, it's a new start. And obviously they have their relationship that's just organic and not based in any um, necessity or any, having to do anything. Um, when he was sort of alluding like, hey, I would I would love for you to be the leader. I was like, oh, no, I hope you're not getting with her because of that. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, Ruth does not deserve that. But I don't think it is. I think it's just also him seeing like the best, like what she could be because he does not see that in Leighton anymore because um, he doesn't believe in him. He's very loyal, but I think he also is sort of um, like he's not he doesn't want to put his eggs in the basket if he's not fully invested in in Layden. And I think that's why he's not choosing a role either, because he doesn't really feel that leadership. And it seems like he's chosen the role is to um, his role is going to be backing Ruth (laughs) and and being like her and trying to be um, her support system and um, try to get this maybe Ruth campaign going in the background. And I feel like that's what he it seems like that's what he's going to do. Also, what's the guesses on what he actually was outside of uh, outside of in the real world? Because he didn't reveal that either. Oh, man, that's a good point, because it, it doesn't seem like he didn't want to share. So it didn't seem very glamorous or very, um, what would you call that, like legal. Um. <laughs> or would it be more of like, you know, the Saving Private Ryan when Tom Hanks actually reveals that he is a teacher and people are like, what? So could it be something like he's actually was like a professor and then he just thinks people could would be. not believe him? Yeah, like like what is a uh, Negan was a uh, like a outreach guy or something or like a <laughs> youth minister or something. And yeah. in, in <laughs> and, and, you know, the other option of what the purpose of that dialogue could have been it could have been about normalizing Ruth's reaction to that Um, I thought that her reaction was really unique in terms of like film and drama Um, she didn't push it he she really like okay like whatever (laughs) because she trusts him and she knows him she knows what she needs to know from him like as like a whole human and so I really actually liked how they showed us you know typically in drama films I see where it's like oh I can't talk about my history and then it's like look off in the way and like drama music starts and then it's like you don't love me if you're not going to tell me the truth you know it's like kind of like that dynamic (laughs) but like Ruth was just like all right (laughs) whatever like 
Ruth's already like a badass. Like we don't, she doesn't need to know that. She doesn't need that to like help her make future decisions or whatever. And even then, like she still leaves calling him Mr. Pike. Like, like it doesn't fucking matter if we're, if we're just doing this for fun or, or if this was like a thing, you know, like there's no pressure of anything. It's just like living present in the moment. And being okay to kind of let old shit go, like that literally doesn't, like, how is it going to help her to know his past? Like, if anything, it's just from a normal curiosity. And if it's something that he's not proud of, like, this literally is like the kind of world ending event that you can swipe away what that is. And I really liked how she said that, like, you're just, okay, like, we're just resetting, like, you know, from who we are. And that's cool, too. So it could also be that. Although there is some inkling because she did, what were her feelings towards wearing the suit again? So it feels like she's not a hundred percent feeling her role in a way. So, or is it because she was like part of this resistance for so long and that sort of like, you know, like the power with that of like doing something noble and then sort of like now coming down from that high and like high tension situation. We're like, okay, I'm just going to go back to being, you know, head of hospitality. And like, that's a bummer, you know, like that sort of thing. Um, Is that like the hesitancy of like when she saw her suit again and before she used to be like all about it. I thought it had something to do with, her new worldview, you know, like what she had dedicated her, her existence to, uh, prior to all this was this sense of propriety that just doesn't have a place in the world anymore. You know, it's it like, like, uh, Inez just said, is it still useful to me? And is making sure that the first class dining car has all their salad forks and melon ballers and shit <laughs> is 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 that where she thinks she can do the most good now now that she's really been in touch with what is what people need and, and to exist given the current crisis the current situation and so putting the teal back on might might have felt a little bit like bullshit <laughs> you know yeah. uh, in in terms of honoring those things that she recognizes are bygone and 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 don't don't matter anymore i agree absolutely paul this is why i usually tell people that especially when they're raising children and trying to figure out stuff from like high school they'll come to me like hey like what are things to do to prepare for college and scholarship and stuff like that and I often reflect and tell them volunteer service and then it, and then earlier in my relationship with Stephen I used to talk all the time about like everything I learned during volunteer service time that I did just because I needed scholarships. So that was why I went in there for like a monetary reason. And then I gained like a lot of life skills from doing this. But when you commit you know, thousands of hours um, of your existence to doing things for the sole purpose of it's like the right thing to do to help in the moment for whatever these moments are, whether it inspires efficiency, inspires joy, inspires survival, those perspectives like are embedded in you and they never go away. So whenever I entered my new life. Um, so I grew up super poor and then I did a lot of volunteer service so I can get scholarships for college. Then when I got into my career and I started thriving in my career and making a lot of good money, like my perspective and how I handle stuff, like felt, it felt weird. It felt icky. It felt wrong because of like, you know, everything that I saw and experienced, like during all of the time that I spent volunteering. And I think that helps keep me grounded. And I can see that, you know, Ruth just went through like six month volunteer um, assignment underground. She didn't have to do all of this, but she felt a duty that she needed to. She had to learn every single suffering that was happening at a different level. She had to learn the kind of challenges that people had just to kind of get access to like life and quality of life type of like resources. Ruth is kind of like overflowing with empathy now in a completely different way than she was pre-trained and that teal suit like is symbolic of that so I, I I can see why that would be a struggle like I really kind of hope that she like recreates her uniform <laughs> make it her own I know this brings up a lot of good points with Ruth and I do feel like she's been through some shit <laughs> and I mean I can the relate in car, some ways right. where you <laughs> literal yeah, shit yeah, literally literal shit um 
you can't just go back. And I really, to some of my experience where you, you know, you do one thing and then you have like this whole life experience, you go back and you're like, why am I doing this? Like there's more important things, you know, or you've gotten, you get, you've gained that perspective and you can't be the same person that was doing that same job or, you know, doing the same things you were. She, she may not be fulfilled in going back to her role. I mean, her role essentially is also serving people, but I don't think she wants to go back to, like you said, filling a salad bar or helping people in that <laughs> regard. I think right. she wants to do more of like she she's experienced more and gained, you know, come a long way that I don't know. And, and what's the next step? It would be being leader of the train. So I feel like the the seed has been planted by um, Pike in such a brilliant way, too, in terms of like the story and plot plot wise like it was kind of just thrown out there and then she dismisses it but of course like nothing is said without it being you know might come back later so if she sees something that goes down with the the current leadership team that is not going to align with now her new gain perspective of like the people on the train she may take it into her own hands and also it's like sort of that thing with um leaders like the best leaders are the ones that don't want to lead um, and that was the case with Layden, but he's just doesn't seem like he's like up to speed with it. And so she feels like she would be like the next iteration of that. She ne- doesn't necessarily maybe want to do what they did, but I think she might need to down the road. It seems like this is what it's leading to with this like seed of, of Pike. Earlier iterations of, of Pike, before we got to know him, I might have been tempted to think that, well, if he hitches his wagon to her star and she rises, then that's good things for Pike. However, I think in that moment when he put that idea into her mind about leadership, I don't think that there was any anything that Pike was thinking that he was going to get out of it other than helping her fulfill what was best for her, which is new and different from my opinion of Pike. Yeah, he's had a lot of growth. Yeah, it's, I think it's true, like what he felt, but it also is sort of like, I think it's also because he doesn't want Layden to lead. I guess he sees in her what he would want for the train, which is what I guess Layden promised them and it's not happening. Speaking of Andre Layden and his unwilling accomplice, Asha, I, more and more unwilling now that I'm I'm thinking of the <laughs> fact that she's like having panic attacks a lot mm-hmm. shit guys <laughs> yeah, is this going to fall apart by, before they even get to africa it sure looks like it it still seems super fragile especially when it's such a strong secret why the fuck is Layton having this conversation in a crowded cafeteria where everybody knows you and you're like the star celebrity that was really sloppy but surprise surprise or not surprise Layton, <laughs> you know that is going to play a problem sooner than than they're planning Layton's behavior in the scene with um Zara when they're talking about the baby like there's this phone that's ringing in their room and he's like the head of the place so like he needs to be like on call 24 7 so like why is he ignoring a phone call when they're like busy doing shit and there's like an actual thing with like really valuable people out there and he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna argue about a mother's right to choose her pre (laughs) pre prenatal treatment instead of like take care of the business that I like convinced everybody that I'm the best one like for the job so just like that kind of decision where he's like doesn't keep his focus on the big picture and he gets really stuck in the dirt that's then played with like he's just like a mess anyway so yeah I'm not feeling super optimistic here yeah and then Josie wasn't in this episode but we can assume like that's also going to be a thing, right? Because they have unresolved issues. But I also feel like Josie is more in line with Ruth. And so I wonder if that's going to be something to look for, like in the, in the future episodes, if I think Josie is, loves Layden, but also probably would question his leadership. And so now that she has doesn't really like need him but like could go you know like she's more of the people like aligns with the people um sort of like on on a ruth level so i wonder if that's also going to like play like i'm going too early on this but that's a prediction for for me coming around the corner coming around the bend using some train lingo uh to that part (laughs) of the show where we should start talking about predictions because the I mean, Leighton uh, appeared a lot in this episode, but I agree with you guys on the idea of he's got this lie 
But then he decides to really double down and hold like this little press conference or whatever, like you call it a town hall, same same idea, where they start like having Asha just spill out more and more details, which can be th- the worst way to, to tell a lie is to tell it with too many details. Yeah, lie 101. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so vague. You're vague. You don't, yeah. And then you would, you, sh- Asha should be hiding and be like, oh, she just needs to recover from her ordeal. You know, like, I feel like also it's sort of, I know Melanie's storyline was not playing into this, like the Alex thing, but there was something that Melanie said where, I ran from Wilford, but I became him. Layden is not running from Wilford, but he's sort of more aggressively going towards him and wants him out of the way. But he is slowly be- also becoming like doing some Wilfordy things of maybe a little bit worse because he's lying. And he already learned from Melanie about her lie that it didn't work. You know, like it, it went to shit. So I feel like, why would you do the same thing and not be honest? I bet you were I he, I would be like rationalizing in my mind. Mr. Wilford ran the show this way. He ran it through like hardship and hard decisions and, and uh, culling the cars, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I'm not doing that. But then meanwhile, Mr. Wilford wasn't exactly uh, lying to everybody either. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and he, <laughs> he had ulterior motives to everything he did, but they weren't out and out lies like this. And this is like a very big lie because you're putting, you're giving people hope. Like they're, you're going to be able to go outside. Like it's very, like, what is he going to do if it's not, if, it's, beach, if it doesn't happen? Right. Yeah. And then also <laughs> yeah. it's sort of also putting the perspective of like, if Asha is part of this lie, you just met her. She's been through all this stuff that we really, you know, that we're learning and don't fully understand, you know, you're putting her life into, you know, also because if there's like a rebellion, if it doesn't happen like um you're also kind of risking her life and obviously all the leadership team would be like kaput except the engineers because they need them i don't know how this is going to go down unless he truly believes because of whatever vision he had maybe he feels very strongly about it that it's going to happen yeah you know layton has been showing hints since the beginning of the season where you know it's just just showing hints that he's just not good at at leading i think it might have been last episode where he's explained to asha like this is personal like about his war with with wilford and i think he says this is personal for me and that really upset me that made me like so furious because it's like he's just like really thinks he's doing the right thing here and it's just this personal battle and ruth is always like telling pike like don't don't focus on the personal of keeping me going. You focus on like the the mission at hand that is bigger than us. It's bigger than us. So you need to go do that. Layton is blatantly telling somebody like this is personal for me. And then he's using her as a tool. And I can absolutely see Asha getting overwhelmed with being used as a tool because that's all he's done to her since he found her. And that's really fucked up. I foresee that Asha is going to publicly crack before we get there. They're building that up pretty nicely. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Other other stuff that I think might creep in this the Roche poisoning and the infirmity of uh, Mr. Wilford. I've seen on other stories where a person who most people would not normally like finds themselves infirmed, and Mm. because they are all of a sudden more vulnerable, people start to empathize with them that wouldn't normally. And they start to crawl into people's emotions and and thoughts and feelings and stuff in ways that, that hadn't been available before. And so all of a sudden, someone that had been on the outs is sneaks in. And I wonder if a, if a long <laughs> recovery for Mr. Wilford is going to make him someone that that we hadn't thought of in this way we you know when we think of mr wilford we think of frontal assault right this would come from the side but would that be a bad thing we're not we're none of us are saying that that we like the way that andre layton is doing things right now i'd prefer the to get a look at the way ruth would do things i think mr wilford's going to keep coming just maybe at this from the side this time i questioned how i felt about him so it's working 
<laughs> seen seen him in this weak state. So I do think he he's definitely going to be like sort of the thorn on the side of of Layden and whatever continues to happen. And so I, I it worked for me. So I can only imagine if you're on the train and the namesake of the train is going to die and that's real. Like ooh, I don't know. There might be some some things that come up with that and people won't be. It's one thing to say it, but one thing to do it or to mm. see it happen. Yeah. Zara was the one who referred to Leighton to his face as the leader who left us. Mm-hmm. So right. um, she's not the only person who thinks this, I'm sure. Um, that's going to be very interesting. I, I think that Leighton is, it has a lot of insecurities that he's rooted to Wilford by default because he's an easy villain um, instead of his own self-reflection and his own shortcomings because he walks around just like very confident, very clean, dressed well. He's got smirk on his faces as he's like scheming his like stories and lies and know this is the good for the people. So now I'm starting to kind of get like, just like you're just... Typical. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to call it. I don't want to call it without offending like a bunch of people on this podcast. So he just got. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I, I just don't like how com- I feel. I told myself, I was like, Leighton fucking walking around here like his shit don't stink anymore. And he's stinking up the place. Yeah. Although I guess the prediction from the next episode is uh, Zara looks like she's about to pop. So is it something where, and I'm not a, I'm not a parent. So you guys would have to answer this, but um, I'm sure it's one thing to, you know, he, he, he had, I forgot what the, what's the kid that he had in the first, like she hasn't come back yet with um, him and Josie. Uh, he's like in school Miles. now or Miles. Yeah. But you know, that, that's not, wasn't his kid. Um, but I'm sure he loves him, you know, and all that stuff. But um, having, you know, his, his daughter come like, um, is it going to be uh, something where maybe his mindset will completely change and the way he, like maybe the, you know, sort of that big picture thing of like, I have now have this life and he's going to see it, you know, if he sees, you know, when she comes out, like, are you going to have like this life changing moment? Like, like, I, I don't, I don't know how that perspective, but I'm guessing I that's what know. happens. I think that's giving him a lot of credit. I feel like <laughs> he is so short-sighted. Like, I don't feel like he will see that as an opportunity to change. I think he's very, very solidly anchored in his vision and the strategy that they're executing. And he has the train that's been announced that's his. I think he's going to keep writing this a little longer. All I can hope for in the next episode is, you know, Ruth realizing how Pike feels and Pike's influence on the underground infrastructure and how things mm-hmm. work. And uh, I'm hoping that she'll take that as uh, as like um, a conversation piece and maybe like start mentoring Layton and start developing him like in that way if it's not her saying like I want to take the leadership I kind of could feel like maybe she wouldn't want to be like the the leader itself uh, more as like some kind of really big top dog behind like the wizard behind the curtain kind of thing I mean that's how she was already and she fucking rocked it maybe this next episode would be a little bit of her trying to like inspire Layton to do that self-reflection and pivot and make sure you know that we're going that way that's giving Layton a lot of credit for opening his mind because I feel like so far right now he is very closed-minded he um and so I I I feel like you're giving him a lot more credit than I would um in in this situation um and then I'm hoping also that we do get to see Zara give birth because she is like about to have this child this is a very very far along pregnancy when I saw how they were showing it it did kind of look more like she was like closer to the end of her her term so hopefully we see her have a a healthy happy um pregnancy i do like zara a lot now i don't know i haven't had the chance to share that because of how much disdain i had for her in season two but um toward the end of season two i did kind of change my tune about her and then i have not been disappointed at all um with her in in this season so i hope that she does have a healthy baby and i'm interested to kind of see what the um treatments have done and to kind of show like was this really the right call because it is scary as a mother to have to make these decisions i don't fault her if i wouldn't have faulted her if she didn't do it i don't fault her for doing it 
all we can do is try. Um, so like, you know, here's to believing and trusting in science. Well put, Inez. <laughs> Thanks. I think that pretty much covers it for this this week and our predictions for next week. If you like what we're talking about, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast. A five-star rating will help other people find our podcast. If people wanted to reach out to Kat, how would they find you, Kat? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Things Cat Loves. Things Cat Loves. Cat with a C. Not yes. no crazy K cats. <laughs> yes. And if people wanted to reach out to Inez, how would they find you? My rants can all be found on Twitter at Neasy Thinks. She'd love to engage with someone about mother's rights, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I am genuinely curious how other people feel about that specific dynamic of whether or not she had the right to consent to that or not. I think that is a very interesting topic and I'm not close minded to the other ways, too. So if you do have thoughts on it, I really would like to um, engage with you. There you go, Internet. You've been invited. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.